0: It's only reasonable that we would begin in unfolding God's will as preparational for making major decisions or even minor decisions. That we understand how it is that God chooses to lead us. Howard is going to share with us those things, and this will be his last time with us uh, in the general session. And. this will be the last time then that we'll have a chance to hear him speak to us and howard we thank you for coming for doing what you've been doing and we welcome you to this platform this morning Howard. thank you and good morning do you believe that i only got one and a half morning persons in my family I asked my older daughter some time ago, Barb, why don't you get up and watch the sunrise with me? She said, Daddy, if God intended people to watch the sunrise, he would have scheduled it a lot later in the day. <laughs> I cannot adequately, adequately convey in words my deep appreciation for the opportunity of being with you. And my only regret is that I have not had more one-on-one time with each of you. I have come to appreciate how significant are the ministries that you are sustaining. My wife and I are compelled to return to Dallas right after the session. In fact, if you see a flash of light, that's me, because we've got a close connection in Los Angeles to make in order to get back for my commitments at the seminary. Tomorrow morning, I will begin my 28th year of teaching, at Dallas Theological Seminary. This is my first and prior commitment. And all of my commitments and other organizations and other involvements demand that I schedule my time so that I can be back in time for my students. And I would appreciate your prayer for this ministry. We have over a 1,000 students on campus, college, university graduates, preparing to minister the Word of God through a variety of means around the world. And we believe our greatest need is spiritual. And we're asking God to raise up a larger core of men and women just like yourself to make some intercessory investments on our behalf. So we appreciate very much the opportunity of being with you. Suppose Jesus Christ were to grant you the answer to one question. Any one question you care to ask. What would that question be? I suspect that in some way or other, it would probably relate to the will of God for your life. Because to the committed Christian, nothing is more significant than knowing and doing the Father's will. I want to begin our discussion today with four fast facts that I would like to underscore in your thinking. The first is the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for your life as an individual. That's one of the most sensational aspects of being a Christian. Sometime take out a piece of paper, draw a line 11 inches long and allow that to represent human history. Place on that 11-inch line a little dot that will represent Western civilization. And imagine yourself as an individual, an infinitesimal speck on that dot. Now I ask you, what is it that gives significance and meaning to that speck? You. There's only one answer to that. And that's the fact that I am personally related to the Lord of the universe who has hand-tooled a plan for my life. There's several verses of Scripture that underscore this truth. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that, that is the whole by grace through faith process, Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now listen, which God prepared in advance for us to do. By the way, that's why you should never say, I don't have time. You have all of the time in the world to do the Father's will. And if you don't have enough time, you are either doing the wrong things or you are doing the right things in the wrong way. Psalm 37 and verse 23, a man's ways are established of Jehovah and he delighted in his way. Acts 13 and verse 2, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And i notice this intriguing statement. For the work to which I have called them. Do you have a sense of calling in your life? See, wherever I go, I run into laymen and ask them, Hey, friend, uh, what's your spiritual gift? And they'll say, My what? Your spiritual gift. <laughs> I'm a plumber. No, I'm not asking you what you do, I'm asking you what is your gift. And he looked at me as if to say, you know, what will they think up next at the seminary? It never ceases to amaze me that God has called you to be a dentist or a lawyer or a president or a vice president of a company or a manager or a salesman or a housewife or a teacher, whatever you happen to be. And the average person spends all of his life apologizing for that. You ought to be galvanized with a sense of calling. I am a businessman, a businesswoman in the will of God. You are not a second-class citizen. Your ministry is not in any way inferior to what I'm doing as a professional. It's just different. And the only reason I do what I do rather than what you do is the calling of God upon my life. Man, that revolutionizes experience. See, when you walk into the office realizing you are God's representative to that company, it does something to you as a person. The second fact is that God's will is not a blueprint. It's a scroll. A blueprint is static. It's all laid out in one whole. A scroll is dynamic. It's got to be unfolded. A lot of confusion reigning in this area because frequently someone will ask you the question have you discovered God's will for your life as if one day you were out walking through a field with tall grass and then you found it you tripped over it and shouted Eureka I found the will of God my family and I spent an intriguing Christmas some time ago in Mexico We were staying in this via that some friends of ours provided for us. And right across the street was a delightful Mexican family. And we watched them celebrating Christmas out in their little patio. And we saw this pinata ceremony firsthand. And it was so exciting. There was this string, you know, and the pinata on the end of it, up over a piece of rope. And the kids running around, jumping up and down, squealing, Daddy, give me a turn. And Daddy would blindfold them, and then the little kid would take the stick and go, shoom! And everybody would squeal and yell, and when the kid came close to the pinata, Pop would just pull it up, and the kid would, And You know, as I sat there, it suddenly hit me. That's the way the average person thinks of the will of God. The God sort of blindfolds you and gives you a club, and you run around in the darkness, and shoom. And every time you come close to the will of God, God pulls the string and and says, Ah, you didn't find it, did you? Don't look at me that way. Because I spent all of my life in this stuff and you wouldn't believe what people tell me about the will of God. The will of God is a lot like the headlights of your car. You're driving down a very serpentine precipitous highway, somebody tells you and down the road it gets worse, it's dark, that's no problem to you because you've got a set of headlights that just shine so far down the road. But you happen to know that when you get down the road in the car, the headlights will be there to illuminate the way before you. That's the picture of the will of God. Put down Isaiah 48 and verse 17 beside that. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. The third fact, God has promised to reveal His will. He not only has a plan, He's promised to reveal that plan. He's not playing games with you. Here are some verses freighted with significance in this area. Psalm 73 and verse 24, Thou wilt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward thou wilt receive me to glory. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will guide you with my eyes upon you. And then probably the best-known verses of all, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Will you mark it well? He doesn't say don't use it. He says don't lean on it. In all of your ways acknowledge Him and He shall, notice the certainty, direct your path. Now there's a fourth that I want you to come to grips with, and I'm going to take some time to spell it out. And that is you need to understand biblically that there are two aspects to the will of God. First of all, there are instructions already specifically revealed that apply to every Christian. No exception. The vast majority of the will of God for your life has already been made known. In this book. So when people say to me, you know, I'd really like to know the will of God. I say, how much time do you spend in the word of God? The will of God is found in the word of God. Not in your experience. The word controls your experience. The experience does not regulate the word. And one of the problems of living in our existential society is that everybody's running around with an experience. The question is, is it a valid experience? If you cannot square that experience with this book, it doesn't make any difference what you experience. That is not the basis of the Christian life. And that's why it's so dangerous to spend all of your time running around investigating other people's experience rather than to spend more of your time investigating the word. But secondly, there are decisions for which there are no specific instructions. They involve my life only. For example, as I mentioned, I had to decide whether this was the will of God for me this weekend. Now, I can't turn, you know, to Hezekiah 14.9 and say, Hendricks, please note that's Howard G. living in 78. I want you to attend a management dynamics seminar in Newport Beach. Make sure it's at the Marriott. But i got to find that out. So do you. Every single day in your office, you've got to make those decisions, and you can't turn to a verse of Scripture that says, hire him. I had to make a decision to marry Jean Elaine Wolf. But I didn't have any verse of Scripture that says, Hendricks, that's the woman. But I had to make that decision. I happen to believe one of the most critical decisions that a person makes in their life. Far more important than your professional decision. You can change your profession, not your partner. Now, if you look in your notes under E, I want you to see some spelling out of the second level of decision making. But before I do, let me take just a moment to show you that in terms of what God has revealed, there are two kinds of commands. There are negative commands and there are positive commands. And I wrote a few of them down. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, more commonly referred to, I believe, as the Great Omission. When you go, make disciples, Jesus said. And whatever else you are doing or not doing, if you're not making disciples, you are not doing what Jesus Christ commanded you to do. And that's not an option. People say, well, you know, I'm not into disciple making. Well, friend, nobody gave you a choice. The risen Savior before he left the earth said, that's what I want you to be about while I'm gone. James By the way, if you want to find the will of God for your life, read the book of James once every month for the next 12 months. There are 108 sharp commands in that book. Underline them in your Bible. Count it all joy when you fall so as to be completely surrounded with a variety of testing. You say, how strange. Not strange, supernatural. He says, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry, etc., etc. And I maintain that that will give you a good start on the will of God for your life. And don't stop with James, that's a good place to start. But secondly there are negative commands. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? So a young person comes to me and says, "You know, I'm planning to get married." I say, "Great. Tell me about it. What kind of a partner you got? Does she know the Lord?" "No, she doesn't." And I was afraid you'd ask that. And don't give me that Corinthians bit. Because I believe it's God's will. You know what I happen to believe? That's palaver. That's baloney. See, God has already made his will known. The guy says, well, I'm going to pray about it. I said, don't pray about it. Save your breath. You don't have to pray about sin." Some of you people are out already and we haven't even gotten started here. <laughs> look at the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Some time ago I went into a restaurant with my wife. We had a delightful meal, came out. I gave the woman a $10 bill to pay for the tab and she gave me change for 20 Now, the moment I look down and see all this change in my hand, do I have to make a decision? I say, now, Lord, what what do you want me to do with this extra money? You know, after all, this could be providential. (laughs) This could be the way the Lord is supplying my needs. No baloney. That's already been made. You don't have to take five seconds to decide, lady. You gave me too much change. You know, it became more of a hassle trying to convince her that she should take the money back it was really a riot she kept looking at me my wife was on the sidelines roaring she said how you know what I really think she thought she thought you were out of your gourd there's still one of them running around loose I gave back some tickets on United Airlines some time ago I picked up the set of tickets worth about $600 this lady and her two kids and I gave it to the agent, and he said, well, what are you giving this to me? That's that's worth money. I said, I know. Well, you know, <laughs> I said, you know, maybe the lady will come back. She'll need it. And, you know, all the time I went back and sat in my chair. I watched this guy, you know, and he'd write these things out, and he'd look over at this phenomenon. Until finally, you know, I went to get on the plane, and the guy says, hey, you're going to ride first class courtesy of United Airlines. You know, it's hard to suffer for Jesus. (laughs) Somebody later told me he probably told you that because he was going to cash in the tickets. (laughs) You can go through the whole commandment and you've got the will of God for your life. Negatively. Now, the third thing I want you to see is the basic principle that comes out of this. Never seek guidance either on what God has already forbidden, that is the negative, or on what he's already commanded, that's the positive. Now here's the liberating truth. You ready for this? It comes a little early in the morning, so fasten your safety belt. There are many things for which God has no preference. You know, that's a major development in your spiritual life. See, there are people all over America who are hung up over this. For instance, food. You know, what do you like, hot dogs or steak? That's your choice. The only consideration is obviously your health. If one makes you sick, it might be well for you to avoid that. If one makes you look like a gospel blimp, you know, you might say, well, you know, we better bypass that food clothing you see to some people you know that's got to be a certain color if it isn't you're dead in the water i can still remember coming from philadelphia to texas you know we came out of a culture where when you buried people everything had to be black you know from the front to the back you had a black suit black shoes black tie black everything and I came to Texas, and the first funeral I had, this funeral director walks in with the most beautiful baby blue suit I have ever seen. And I thought, good night, man. We'll never be able to bury the guy in that. <laughs> we went outside, and there was a pink hearse. And man, this guy's going to die in a pink condition. He's going to come right up out of the casket. But he never did. See, there are some people to whom it has never occurred that God created pink as well as black. You like yellow, man? Wear yellow till it's coming out your ears. And you don't have to spend a lot of time praying about that. Just enjoy it. Live it up. Recreation? What do you like? Golf or macrame? Obviously, there are principles regulating all of these things, such as moderation in all things. I gave up golf after pay- playing with a lot of preachers. I have never been so blown out of my mind in all my world. I went out to have some fun, you know, play a golf game, and, man, it was a knockdown drag out. They were lying like crazy. You know, well, what are you lying? To? Well, four, four, you mean 14. <laughs> Boy, I saw a guy, you know, a great Bible teacher take a club and... <laughs> and what came out of his mouth was not Sunday morning consumption. And I finally said, man, if you got to play it that way, forget it. That's not sport to me. I do that all the rest of my time. I don't need that for recreation. <laughs> now let's look at some prerequisites. Concerning the special guidance area, three of them I put in your notes. Number one, become a child of God. That's where it starts. John chapter 6, our Lord was asked by a group of Jews, what must we do to work the works of God? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe the one whom he has sent. That's where it starts. In that John 10 passage, I love that expression. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. How's that grab you? So you're not a number in God's book. He knows everything about you and treats you always as an exclusive, distinctive individual. So first come to Christ as Savior because God is in the process of leading his children. Secondly, act on what you already understand. See, People come to me many times and they say, uh, you know, I'd really like to find what the will of God is in this area. It's so great. So let me ask you a question. Spend much time in prayer? Oh, no, that's a weak area of my life. Hendrix, I, yeah, I really don't get around to that. Well, then I said, uh, why don't you spend some time in prayer? Well, you know, but I want to find the will of God. But you already know what the will of God is. You debate that God wants you to pray. Oh, no. Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to faint. You got the verse down. Now, how about the light? See, many of us spend all of our time trying to find the will of God in areas that are not specified when we are not living the will of God in areas that are already clear. Such as your intake of the word. Such as your prayer life. Such as loving your wife, etc. That's why I keep saying to people, obedience is the key to the Christian life. The opposite of ignorance in the spiritual realm is not knowledge. It's obedience. A lot of people have got more knowledge crammed up in their being. But they haven't obeyed very much of it. You really want to make some giant steps in your faith. Just start with the simplest thing that God told you to do this morning when you read his word. and Do that all day long. Watch what happens. You're going to take strides in your faith. Third, be willing to accept before you know. And there are many passages here I would encourage you to look up. But add one, John 7, 17. He that wills to do his will shall know the teaching. I believe the will of God begins by committing yourself to the will of God. I can still remember as a young man saying, Lord, I'm willing to do your will anything except go to Africa. And I can't even tell you why, because I've been to Africa so many times and i probably had... Some of my most effective ministry on that continent. Nothing I enjoy more. But there it was, a hang-up. And I can remember it as if it were yesterday in a little group of pines down in New Jersey saying, Lord, I'm willing to go anywhere, including Africa. And God began to reveal His will. See, what most of us think is that if we could look over the will of God, check out the specs, find out if there's anything, you know, ooh, uh, ooh hold that one because it's conditional commitment you are talking about the lord who has your best interests in at heart and he will never give his will to you except that which is best for you you couldn't take one thing from it you couldn't add one thing to it and in any way improve it that's what the romans 12 2 passage teaches you well let's look at a few principles for guidance Four primary principles. Number one, understand the clear teaching of the word of God. Man, if there's anything we need in this generation, this is it. Now again, I'm not talking about intellectual knowledge. I'm talking about obedience. There must be an intake of the word of God. And may I say just a word since I've had some delightful conversation with some of you. Some of you are in churches where the word of God is not being preached and taught. And you feel by conviction, that's where God wants you. I cannot debate that with you. That's the will of God for your life. All I'm saying is, if you are not being fed the word of God regularly and systematically, you better do something about supplementing your intake. You better get yourself some books, some tapes. You better get yourself to some seminars or conferences where there's somebody going to feed you the Word of God. You better get yourself a personal Bible study program where every day, like a dear architect friend of mine in Dallas, a guy never opens his office until he has spent an hour in the Word of God. He'll never answer the phone, open the door. But probably has one of the most effective ministries as a layman in our community. Because of his prior commitment. That God wants to speak to me. And he's written his message in a book. Think of that. Second. Prayer. That's, by the way, what gives you conviction concerning the will of God. Ask you to show him his will. And believe that he will. And by the way, act upon it. See, most people get all bent out of shape standing here saying, Lord... You know, show me your will. I say, are you moving in any direction? No, I'm waiting for God to hit me with a javelin. No, I say, start moving. But as you move, commit yourself to God in prayer. See, many people say, I'd like to know the will of God for my life, but they're not willing to spend five minutes a day to talk to God about it in prayer. And I happen to believe that's where the crunch comes. You really want to know the will of God? Yeah. You willing to spend five minutes a day and say, Lord, I'm starting out. I don't know everything that I will face. I'm not even sure of where I'm going in some of these decisions. But on the basis of what I know, this is the way I'm going. And if you want to change it, I'm totally open. I have never seen a person with that mentality miss the will of God. Never in 35 years of ministry. You see, it begins with that commitment factor. And that comes a prayer. God's not playing games with you, my dear brothers and sisters. And when you come to him and say, Lord, I want your will, my friend, he wants it more than you want it. And he's not going to hide it from you. Third, circumstances. Now watch out for circumstances. I have a personal conviction born out of my own experience, born out of the teaching of the Word of God. I never make a decision concerning the will of God on the basis of circumstances alone. Now, there are many times when God will use circumstances, but I never rely on it. You know, the person that drives up to a parking lot and says, oh, man, there's a parking place there. It must be God's will. No, it just happens that half of that company isn't working today. That's why there's a parking place. There's nothing to do necessarily with the will of God for your life, as I'll show you in a moment. Fourth, the counsel of other Christians. By the way, that's what wisdom is all about. Wisdom is the skill of living. And I believe every Christian needs an older Christian, maybe a group of them to whom he can go and say, hey, man, give me your reading on that." Now, by the way, these people can't make your decisions for you because they can't bear the responsibility of the choices. But they can sure do a lot to help you in finding. I look back on my life and I would have to say that I can point to hundreds of people that God has used to give me some of the choicest counsel through the year. I happen to know that when Billy Graham has a major decision to make, He never makes it alone without calling about 10 or 15 businessmen all across America and say, give me your reaction to this. You see, that's wise living. And the whole involvement of wisdom is not that you're smarter than somebody else. It's just that you've lived a little longer. And I often tell my students. I don't have any more of an inside track than you do. I just lived a little longer. That's all. I've made more mistakes. Now, when these four primary means of guidance are all converging, you have a good idea that you have the clear-cut will of God. Now, let me tell you about some pitfalls, because here's where we lose a lot of people through the cracks. Number one. Thinking that desire is never God's design. <laughs> I sometimes have a hard time to keep from laughing in the face of people in my office. You know, people are funny. Have you enjoyed if you appreciate that? I mean man, you know, life is, is more funny than fiction. And people come in, students particularly say, Prof, you know, I I, I want to find the will of God for my life, but you know, God couldn't be leading me here. I say why? Well, I enjoy it so much. (laughs) See, that is a good illustration of the idiocy concerning the will of God abroad. The average person thinks that the choice is between doing what we want and being happy and doing what God wants and being shafted. So if I enjoy it, you know, (laughs) he couldn't be in it. It's got to be painful. It's like medicine. If it tastes bitter, it must have healing elements. Psalm 37, 4. The first verse I ever learned in my life. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of, my, of thy heart. I can still remember saying one day, God, you've got to be kidding. You mean to tell me that if I delight myself in you, you'll give me anything I want? My focus was on what I wanted, rather than delighting myself in the Lord. You see, there is a strange spiritual metamorphosis. Are you experiencing that yet? That the longer you are in Jesus Christ and the more the word becomes incarnate in you, the more God's will becomes your will. God's heart becomes your heart. The things that satisfy him are the things that satisfy you. My dear father, God blesses his memory all through his life. Never got this picture till he finally came to Christ four months before he went home to be with the Savior. And he used to sit down with me and say, Howie, now, now how much is it that you make again? And i tell him and he'd say, you got to be kidding. You mean with all of that education, with all of that experience, with all of that... That's all you make. And he never finished high school and went up in the military and retired at more pay than I made as a full professor for 28 years of service. And he used to say, you know, <laughs> you ever run into this seriously? You have people come up to you and say, you know, uh, you, you, know you don't look as odd as you act. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you don't have three eyes and, and you really enjoy this. I was sitting reading a Bible not too long ago. A stewardess came by and said, uh, what are you reading? I said, I'm reading a book my father wrote. (laughs) Had an interesting conversation. But when I finally got to the bottom line, she looked at me and she said, you know, you really look so normal, too. (laughs) Kind of appreciated that. I didn't think I did, you know. But you know, you really you read this, (laughs) and you pray, and uh, you give all of this money. You know the IRS has been blowing their circuits, examining our faculty because, as many of you know, IRS just got a little computer deal and it just kicks out those things that give over such a such a percent. And every single member of our faculty and staff has been called into IRS for an audit because they keep saying. You know how do you you give so much? You know what is your problem? (laughs) Particularly one guy since since you make so little. (laughs) 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 Any guy, you know, (laughs) is well. Let's go on. Second, all decisions must have a subjective confirmation. By the way, this is where I appreciate the gutsiness of most business and professional men who need to build more into the life of the average person and working in Christian service. And that is there are a lot of people among us who do not follow objective fact. They are always looking for subjective feelings. they got to get some liver shivers before they're convinced, ooh, 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 this must be the will of God. And there are many times, my friend, when it is a sheer leap into the dark, only to discover it's on to rock. My friend, that's what faith is all about. That God said it, despite the fact that the circumstances are totally contrary to it. Think of what Abraham would have done if he had followed that basis. I want you to take your son, I mean your only son, I mean the one whom you love, and offer him up as a sacrifice. Abraham could have said, God, you've got to be kidding. There's no way I'm going to pull that off. Why, God, aren't you aware that that's the practice of the heathen nation all around us? Well, old they think. See, the guy never opens his trap. Takes the kid up, puts him on that altar, plunges the knife. The writer of the Hebrews says he completed the action. He had already made the decision. Because he tells you why. He believed he, if he killed him, would get him back from the dead. Friend, that's where he got him in the first place. Out of the deadness of Sarah. And the death of himself. Nothing logical about that. Nothing gives you nice feelings about that. Suppose God asks you to do that with one of your children. It's just the unvarnished word of God. That when God says that's the way to go. That's reality. And it will never alter. Third that the will of God seldom involves logical implication. I say to you, did God lead you to marry this woman? Oh, yeah, man, if there's anything I'm convinced of, it's I got the right woman. Fantastic. Then you don't have to pray about supporting her, do you? Amazing how many people do. See, we have students who pray all the time as to whether it's God's will for them to go to class. usually classes they're flunking (laughs) see i said did god call you to seminary oh yeah yeah, he called me then friend he called you to show up in class we had a guy write to us some time ago and said god's leading me to attend your seminary but he's also leading me not to take the following courses and enumerated them so as the admissions committee we looked it over and said well you know the dear brother needs a little help so we write him some Understanding letters, we really have a purpose to our curriculum, every course contributes to it, we can appreciate at this point, you don't recognize the contribution of these courses, you know, mm, on and on. He writes back four or five times, God told me not to take those courses. So finally, we had to write him back, God told us not to take you. (laughs) And man, he was the most surprised guy in all the world. (laughs) I have a guy, you know, I loaned $10 to him some time ago. He's still praying about whether to pay it back. (laughs) See, what I'm saying, my friend, is that there are logical implications. And when God leads you to take that position, he leads you to take what goes with it. Fourth, that God's will is devoid of reason. One of the great men that really built into my life was the great Donald Gray Barnhouse. Credible expositor of the scriptures. A very unusual type of person, sort of brush, brusque and rough and so forth. And one day I said to him, uh, Dr. Barnhouse, I'd like to know how to find a will of God. And he whipped around and said, Son, ninety percent of the will of God will be found from your neck up. And turned around, zoom. You know, I'm saying, hey, let's write that down, ninety percent When the longer I'm in the faith, the more I see the significance of what he's saying. That's why he was so committed to programming people's minds with the Word of God. That's what that Romans 12 passage is talking about. The renewing of your mind so that you begin to think instinctively from a biblical point of view. Again, The danger of using God's will as a wheelbarrow where you push it before you wherever you want to go. See, the will of God is frequently used as a convenient dumping ground for our personal predilections, And then we blame it on God what trouble Israel got into. Lord, we want a king like the nations round about. They kept bringing that request to God so long he finally said, great, I'll give you a king just like the nations round about. And they're still trying to recover from that answer to prayer. You see, my friend, you, again, I repeat, are not playing games. And if you are so determined that it's got to be your way, God may give it to your your way. In order for you to come to grips with the fact that, look, I've got a plan, and it's absolutely perfect because I can see the whole, not just the part. Again, the danger of taking Bible verses out of context. My friend, you can prove anything you want from the Scriptures by taking a verse and ripping it out of its context. Every cult in America is based upon a violation of that principle. And it's interesting if you talk to these people, as I do on many occasions, just ask the guy to read the verse before, the verse after, and it gives you the answer. You've heard, no doubt, about the guy who was very depressed and decided to go to the Bible and find out something that would help him. And he landed and said, and Judas went out and hanged himself. And he thought, well, man, I had not much comfort in that. So he went over to another verse and said, go thou and do likewise. <laughs> Good night. God telling me to do that. Well, let's take one more shot what thou doest do quickly (laughs) see to a lot of people the bible is a rabbit's foot and you rub the thing and sort of get magical information two more the will of god guarantees freedom from stress and problems i wonder when we're going to stop peddling this will you do god a favor as well as people and stop selling the christian life On the basis that it has all of the answers to all of your problems. And the moment you come to Christ, everything will be solved. There's a verse of scripture that promises that. Here's Abraham. I want you to leave your city, Ur of the Chaldees. Most of us look at that and think that must be Chigger Creek, Texas. My friend, sometime at your leisure, read some archaeology books to find out what was going on in Ur. Ur was the scene. They had square root and logarithms in Ur. They had air-conditioned split-level homes. And when God told Abraham to leave Ur, he told him to leave the scene, the center of civilization. He goes out on the backside of the desert, man, he no sooner gets there, than what happens? He hits a famine. Now, how in the world can you be in the center of the will of God and in a famine? That's his problem. He says, man, we better head for Egypt. And that's where he got hung. See, I have students who come to seminary, some of them out of business. We had a dear brother come from a very high-ranking position with a firm up in New Jersey, walked out the door. They said, man, is it pay? You name the salary, we'll give it. He said, no, you don't have the picture. It's just not that what you are providing is not good. I have just... Got the call of god of my life i gotta go and so he moves from new jersey sells the thing every deal down the line comes to texas he's got a wife five kids enters into seminary he's scarcely six weeks into the semester he shows up in my office he's clutching four blue books